As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show. The regular season may have finished, but there's still plenty to talk about with the playoffs in full swing. We'll put a foot slash glove inside the Sunderland camp ahead of their Wembley date and preview the weekend's games whilst Rob Edwards swaps hummus for hornets, leaving a bitter taste in FGR's mouth. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome along, then, listener. It's me, Matt Davis Adams, joined today by the former Swindon striker Sam Parkin. Hello, Matt. Hello, Sam. I'm fresh off the WSL finale. We're joined by commentator Robin Cowan. Hi, Robin. Hi, Matt. Um, uh, Abby's put in the script here, favourite playoff memories. I think that's a bit harsh on you, Robin, given that, that Oxford haven't made it and when they do tend not to do that well. Do, do you have uh, one? Well, no. Um, up from the, the conference back in 2010, what a memory that was. Alfie Potter scoring late on to make it 3-1 against York City. And yeah, just being hugged by people I'd never met, grown men in tears, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, we, we won't speak about Wickham a couple of years ago. The less said about that, the better. Um, Sam, I think you're probably in my camp, aren't you? Playoffs just equal misery and heartbreak? Pretty much, although I was there for last-minute Bobby Zamora against Derby, which I'm sure is, is close to your heart as well, Matt. I was there for that and we had a glorious pile-on, me and my uh, brother and um, my friends. So that one... And to suck up to the Swindon fans, the the Swindon four, Leicester three, I think as well. The comeback. Greatest playoff final ever, that? It's up there, isn't it? Charlton Sunderland would Mm. probably rival it. The the Swindon goal by Craig Maskell that kissed the inside of the post. Well, kissed is an understatement. It thumped the inside of the post and made this glorious sound in the old kind of Wembley nets at the old stadium. So, yeah, that game, bit of a favourite of mine. Uh, for more on the difference between a kiss and a thump of the post, by the way, check out the Football Clichés podcast. Uh, this week's episode goes big on that. We're going to talk more playoffs later, but I thought we should start today with this story of Rob Edwards leaving FGR 
to go to Watford for next season. He'll be back in the Championship. He's 39 years old, which is seven years less than Roy Hodgson, the man he's replacing, has been a manager for, um, which is pretty extraordinary. Really loving all this rancour, though, Robin, between FGR and Watford and, and Rob Edwards. It is totally what we're here for. Oh, I mean, with the Wagatha Christie going on at the same time, it's just it's almost <laughs> too rich, isn't it, all this stuff? But, oh, just hook it to my veins. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean... Uh, I can see both sides. I think I love Dale Vince kind of popping up and like a sort of jilted lover. I was so disappointed just, you know, after all we've done for him. Yeah, it's it's an in, a really interesting one from from both aspects. It was always going to happen. He's done an incredible job. Going to Watford, I mean, we all know what they're like. It seems like a big change of direction from them as you mentioned. I mean, from Roy Hodgson to Rob Edwards, you couldn't really get much different from that. So hopefully, from a Watford point of view and Rob Edwards' point of view, this means that they've changed direction in terms of actually giving managers a chance. But if he does get sacked after a bad start, you, you can't say to him you you weren't warned because we all know <laughs> they've got previous with this. So yeah, interesting. And as you say, though, the, the best thing is the beef between the two clubs. Absolutely magnificent. Loving it. Uh, Well worth reading the statement again, just in case anybody missed it. FGR confirms the departure of head coach Rob Edwards. Rob was a key part of the team that gained promotion to League One this season. We're disappointed that our support, loyalty and honesty towards Rob has been repaid in this way, with negotiations taking place behind our backs. We had no contact from Watford, from whom we might expect less. But in any event, this kind of behaviour gives football a bad name. We thank Rob for all his work at FGR, forgive him the manner of his departure and wish him well. What a brilliant end that is. Um, Sam, you get why they're annoyed that they weren't contacted, but in any other walk of life, person gets offered a job for more money at higher level, takes it, is not really a shock, is it? No, of course not. And and firstly, we'd all be disappointed if Rob Edwards walked out on any one of us, the handsome devil, wouldn't we? (laughs) Oh, yeah. See See last pod. So, no, no, I completely... Get that, Matt. It's a hell of an opportunity for him. But as Robin says, I mean, what a gamble. You know, what a gamble at this stage of his career to go to a club where essentially I feel the players consistently throw the manager under the bus. Um, I think you've got owners there that obviously aren't afraid to change. And, and there's probably been too much player power at that club for, for too many years now, even after Troy Deeney's left, um, who had a big say with things, I would imagine. So I hope that doesn't happen to him because he showed this year, you know, what a talent he is. And um, yeah, the natural progression would have been probably to to step up to, I don't know, a, a, a decent sized club in League One um, or, you know, a championship club that was a little bit more stable. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, in terms of Forest Green, they'll probably... Well, they could very well go for, for someone from complete obscurity because Rob Edwards was not someone who managed before. And we know that Dale Vince likes to do things slightly differently. So we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, just looking at the odds for the next manager, Ian Birchnell, who's at Notts County there in the playoffs in the National League, is the favourite at two to one. I thought, Robin, we might see Greta Thunberg or somebody from Massive Attack or whatever on the list. This is quite prosaic. Paul Tisdale, Michael Appleton, Graham Coughlin, Lee Johnson. Come on, guys. It's <laughs> a very good point. Yeah, just trying to think who else. Just yeah. Hey, if someone ever, if someone was ever built for that job, it's Paul Tisdale. Yeah, you'd have thought so. His stock's um, not great, not very high at the moment, though, is it? 
be interesting to see who they go for. As Sam says, I'm sure they've got some interesting ideas. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Watford and Forest Green. We know that Tony Mowbray is leaving Blackburn. That is official now. This this feels like a real own goal, Robin, to me from, from Blackburn because they don't seem to have anybody lined up. And you, you've got somebody who, you know, he's not... a a thrill-a-minute kind of manager or, or maybe even person. But to deal with what you have to deal with at Blackburn, you need a, a steady hand on the tiller. He's that. So who's going to come in and replace him? Yeah, no, I think, you know, Sam said it about Rob Edwards. I think it's a huge gamble for Blackburn Rovers because he's he's done a magnificent job. You know, when he came in, they were absolutely on the floor, you know, relegated, got them straight back up and they steadied the ship. And not only that, a real playoff challenge this season. And... Maybe, you know, he's been there five years. You could argue, you know, it's time for a fresh voice, perhaps. But I don't think anyone would do a better job than him. So, yeah, I'm not sure where they go from here. Anyone who they appoint, it's going to have to be someone pretty spectacular to appease the fans, I imagine. Mm. Well, meanwhile, the Athletic understand that the Birmingham assistant, Mark Kennedy, is the favourite for the Lincoln job. Uh, but Mark Bowen will not be manager of Wimbledon next season. We spoke, Sam, last week about whether he deserved to have another go. The consensus was generally no. In the statement that Wimbledon put out, it says that Bowen himself actually ruled himself out of contention for the gig on a permanent basis, which seems like an odd one to me. Is that because he doesn't feel he has the knowledge of League Two or, or because he feels it's beneath him, do you think? And, and who do they go for next? I would imagine it would have been a career move, something you know, something that suited him better because I think it's a it's a decent job. I don't think Mark Bowen's gonna probably be in the running for, you know, championship jobs right now. Wimbledon's obviously rebuilding, building and um I thought it probably would have been the sensible way to go, actually. You know, as much as I was surprised when he was was handed the reins, I think considering they sacked a rookie manager and went with experience, I think to try and get back to League One level in the short term, Mark Bowen would have probably been a decent proposition. So a little bit surprised that he's he's taken a role at Reading, I, I understand. But yeah, I think Wimbledon are going to have to have a bit of a rethink because I felt you know, I said it so many times on this podcast. I felt it was like an enormous season for Wimbledon, going into the new stadium, changing the ethos, introducing younger players, not being reliant on a big number nine and set pieces, centre-halves to get your goals. There was a big change, I think, going on at Wimbledon and it it faltered and faltered badly. So, yeah, I thought in the short term, experience was probably a good idea. So I'd imagine they'll probably still go down that route rather than, you know, pluck someone from the FA or or what have you, like we've seen with Forest Green. A former Wimbledon player, obviously. Yeah, I was I was just <laughs> running Jones. through who that could be. Is it is it time for the Vinnie Jones <laughs> return? Are we going to see, I don't know, Neil Sullivan or Andy Thorne or <laughs> F. Anakuku get the job? Um, we'll have to Besant, wait Dave Besant. Hmm? Yeah, well, <laughs> just, just think of him dropping that bottle of salad cream on his foot and, and breaking it at, it's not the kind of thing that you want in League Two uh, from a manager, necessarily. Uh, that's enough managerial chat. We'll have a quick break and then we'll look back on what happened in the League One playoff semi-final. 
With both the men's and ladies' finals taking place, it's going to be a bumper weekend for FA Cup clichés. The magic of the cup. Form goes out the window. Here at Paddy Power, we can't prevent the clichés. No easy games. Ricky Veer, KG first 15 minutes. But we can provide giant killing offers, like money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet but bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7 day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Driven in by Clark and forced in by Patrick Roberts. It's come in additional time. Sunderland surrounded on Sheffield Wednesday soil, but they don't fear anyone. And they now are dreaming of Wembley. So we now know that the League One playoff final, which takes place next Saturday, a.k.a. the 21st of May, will be between Wickham Wanderers and Sunderland. That after the Black Cats booked their place by overcoming Sheffield Wednesday. The second leg finished 1-1 at Hillsborough on Monday night after Sunderland won the first leg by a goal to nil. Uh, we spoke, Robin, there about, Sam was saying about that brilliant Swindon playoff final from the 90s. I wonder if we're a bit stuck in the 90s when it comes to the playoffs, because I sit down for these games and go, right, this is going to be the most exciting game of football that there's ever been. It's going to be drama for, for 90 minutes for both legs and then maybe extra time too. These were two of the worst games of football I've seen this season. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, you kind of expect it from the finals, don't you? Because there's so much at stake. And usually the semi-finals are slightly better, but no, very, very cagey. I think I hate the word chess match because that does mean boring. And also like the, for the purist, which again means boring. <laughs> so I just think it was all of them, all of these teams just have really good coaches, really well coached, knew what they wanted to do. I think especially Sunderland played an absolute blinder. Um, you know, they stayed in the game after... They had a really good first half, I felt, and then Sheffield Wednesday had quite a lot of momentum going into half-time and didn't quite get it back after the break. Sunderland defending for their lives. They even had the sort of cliched Bailey Wright with the um, bloody eye at the end, which is always a tick in the box. And yeah, it just feels like under Alex Neil, they just seem to have someone who knows exactly what, what he's doing. I think that it, Wickham are going to be very difficult, probably the most difficult opponents for anyone, uh, no matter what level. But yeah, I just thought it was a really good all-round performance for, from Sunderland. We'll talk more Sunderland later. Sam, is this, well, obviously it's a concern for Sheffield Wednesday, but the ramifications of another season in, in League One, you know, we're told they lose half a million pounds at the moment when they were in the championship, people like Barry Bannon, are they going to want to stick around for a, for another season? And and do you think that, that Darren Moore's got it in him to have another go at, at trying to get them up? I get the sense that there's not real panic from this. I think everything I've read from the Sheffield Wednesday supporters is that they're quite balanced that, you know, he's brought a few smiles back on their faces in, in recent months and that Sunderland, as Robin said, just shaded this. I think in retrospect... Was he a bit safe in that in that away game? I've not seen Sheffield Wednesday play so timidly 
in in recent months. They normally play play on the front foot. They normally create. There was none of that really in the home game, and and they didn't have the they weren't in the ascendancy enough at Hillsborough to deserve, I think, anything more than they got really. But I don't see it as being a being a panic. I I, I would stick with him. I think there's the basis of a good squad there. I think Barry Bannon, who you men- mentioned, is talismanic figure there really and it's a it's a huge club very well supported I think he enjoys himself there I could see him sticking around and I could see them if they add to the squad being strong favorites to go back up last year but again I think we need more strikers as managers basically don't we Alex Neal was a tough terrier like midfielder and Darren Moore was a uncompromising stopper we need more strikers to open up these games clearly but you know, in all truth, I just think Alex Neal, the way the team has set up defensively has been has been superb. 17 games he's had and they've only conceded more than one on two occasions. And I think one of those was a victory. So I think that says it all. You know, they're, they're in every game and I, I felt that they looked very secure in this game, even when they went one goal behind. So deserve win, but no, I don't see any panic with Wednesday. Right, defensive security for Sunderland. Maybe our next guest has had a part to play in that. We'll speak to the Black Cats goalkeeping coach, David Priest, next. <laughs> David, as a Sunderland boy, where does Monday rank in terms of your career highlights? Yeah, it's it's right up there with all the occasions that I've had at the club. And as you said, as a Sunderland fan, it's, it's amazing just to be going to Wembley with, uh, with the club I supported as a boy. Did you celebrate much as a group or are you kind of saving that for the final? I think the, the whole attitude towards it for, from everyone, not just from the manager, but right down to, to the players and the rest of the staff, it was the, a case of we've achieved nothing. We had to enjoy the moment, of course. It was a brilliant atmosphere. Seeing the fans at the way they were, I, personally, of course, I know how much they've been through these past, certainly five years since we've come down from the, the Premier League. It, it's been a tough time for them. And just listening afterwards to listen to what it meant to them and, and the way that they were celebrating. It was a long time since we've had something to celebrate like that, especially the, the game on uh, on Friday night at the Stadium of Light. It's, it's a testament to the, to the fans, the, the, the effort that the, they and the club had put in to, to, to put on a, an occasion. And and gladly we we managed to rise to that and, um, and make sure that it didn't fall flat on its face. <laughs> yeah, it was a magnificent occasion over the, the two games. In terms of you and, and, and this season, what's it been like for you? And what's it like for the for the goalkeeper coach when the manager changes? Because presumably there was a bit of fear for you there about whether you'd be kept on or not. Yeah, and I think Sam knows exactly um, how it is in football. There's kind of acceptance when, when things like that happens, you know that that could be the case. And um, but literally, you just you've just got to get on with your job and make sure you do the best job possible. And then if you want to buy the next manager, then it's great, and you just get on with it. It was quite fortunate for me that when I came in, you know, I was a club appointment rather than coming in with uh, and being attached to a manager. So that certainly helped. Um, but again, you know, the credit's got to go to to, to Alec, uh, Alex Neil for for the way that he's handled things when he came in, and yeah, he's made us all feel, you know, that. We're very much part of the plans. Greasy, he's um he seems to have had the, the touch in terms of making changes from the from the bench substitutions, changing shape and, and you getting late goals. What was the thought process the other night not making a change? Uh, even when you were behind in that game, it obviously turned out all right, but I suppose that was something that took everyone a little bit by surprise. Yeah, I think the manager's explained it well himself. You know, you, you know, he got the feeling that 
changing things, perhaps not that it will make anything, uh, everything any better, but um, it's just the, the fact that he, he trusted so much in the players and what they were doing. They didn't look tired. It could have been easy for us to to assume that after the two games and the effort they've put in over the two games. You know, we looked at the numbers sort of um, the last couple of days. They put an incredible amount of effort into it. It's a testament to them that they didn't really look tired. And as a manager, when you're going into a game, you come up with a game plan and the players carry that out and you've still got that faith in them that despite going behind, despite being up against it for a good 10, 15 minutes after that, after that equaliser, you know, the faith that he has in the in the squad, it, it just it says a lot about the players and the, not just about them as players, but as characters as well. And I think that, um, yeah, it could have been easy to panic and easy to think something needs to change and uh, to try and sort of curb what Sheffield Wednesday were doing at that time. But I think over the two games, uh, over the course of, uh, of of all everything that had gone on, we always felt like not that we were comfortable, but that we were. Um, Things were being carried out the way we wanted to. And it, for a manager, it's easy to keep things the way they are then. It's a long old wait, isn't it, between Monday's game and, and the final? You've had a couple of days off. Is it is it back into to hard training every day now? Or is it kind of tapering up towards next Saturday? How's that? How are you going to approach that? Yeah, nothing changes. You know, it, we're still in season. Yeah, it's a final at Wembley. But at the end of the day, it's just another game. And um, and if you treat it any differently, then you perhaps get a different result at the end of that. And, and we can't afford to do it. The manager's very, very much a grounded person. You know, was talking about the the celebrations after the game. They were minimal. You know, we we, we want to show appreciation of the fans. We want to acknowledge um, that we were doing something good. But again, it, it's just about getting down to it again and, and preparing as exactly the way we have done for the uh, the past 15 16 games under the manager because what's what's happened to him is is that we've we've put a lot of effort behind the scenes into and how we approach each game and we'll do exactly the same for this one if not more David, I just wonder what it's been like for you in terms of I can't imagine what it is like being involved in the club whom you've supported since you were very young I mean if you had to kind of change your mindset a little bit yeah, I think it's been quite easy for me up till this season to to stay professional in games and not to not to go over the top when you um, when things are going well or you know when when a goal scored. It's it's been very difficult for me this year. I've tried to make sure that whilst I'm still staying professional, I want to enjoy it as well because I, I've known that across my uh, my playing career, most of the time I probably didn't allow myself to to enjoy any of the good times because you want to keep keep yourself level headed. But I've allowed myself over the course of the season, especially um, we scored a lot of late goals in the last sort of nine or ten games. And I think it's a little bit easier to celebrate goals when there's only a minute left on the clock. And, you know, there's not a lot of chance for the, for the team to get back into it. Certainly after the other night, you know, I took a little little five minutes to myself when I got back in my car after the after the game, just to, just to sit and just try and take it in and... Um, and then just box it up, put it away, and then just get it on to the, to the next one. Obviously, your your main job is looking after the keepers. Eight clean sheets in the last 14 games, only conceded more than once in, in one of those games. I'm sure most of that's down to you, but a lot of it's down to Anthony Patterson as well, right? Very impressive for a 22-year-old. Yeah, as a goalkeeping department, we've had a... Um... We're, we've had a year amongst us where it's it, it has been up and down. There's been lots of challenges. You know, Lee Bird started the season. 
he came out with a with a groin stream before the Wimbledon game. Obviously, he went on to um, to have problems with uh, with uh, COVID. Torben Hoffman's come um, come across from Bayern Munich, been a real sort of uh, steep learning curve for him. First season at first team level, and he's um, it, it, it's been a real sort of culture shock for him, and he adapted really well. Again, he contracted COVID, um, came out of the team for a little bit. And then, um, and then after the, the, the Bolton results, um, he, he was feeling very unwell. So he came out the side and that's when Anthony's got, the, got his chance. You know, and, and Anthony himself, he's had his own challenges. He's played a couple of games at the start of the season for us. He was sent out and known to, to Notts County where um, we sent him there because of the way that Notts County play. He came back from there sort of, not, not a different goalkeeper, but very much sort of confident in, in what um, he realised he, he was capable of. We're very happy with the way that he's developed and the way that he's handled things. And obviously the managers as well. He gets to finish his season at Wembley. Uh, right, before we let you go, David, um, how many breeds of cat are recognised by the American Cat Fanciers Association as being black cats? That is a breed that has a solid black coat. Maybe there's a trick answer here. Maybe there's only one. Uh, I can see you thinking, but I'm afraid you're, you're incorrect. The answer is actually 22. So when you get back in the dressing room, if you're looking to impress the lads... And that's the way to go about doing it, I reckon. Um, listen, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you all the best of luck a week Saturday. Congratulations on the season so far. Cheers. David Priest of Sunderland there. Right, next we're going to preview the weekend's playoff games. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. So the towns of Luton and Huddersfield first up in the championship playoffs. Two teams few of us expected would be in the top half, let alone the top six. Uh, home advantage, obviously you want to make the most of it, Robin, but Luton only lost once there in the league since the end of November. And given that they've recently been beaten at Huddersfield, they'll want a reasonably healthy advantage to take into that second game. Yeah, I think so. They need to really take advantage of Kenilworth Road and everything that that brings with it. I think they're probably going to need to win this leg 
to have a chance because just Huddersfield have just been so impressed with them throughout the season, kept thinking they were going to drop off and they just didn't. They even had a chance of going up automatically for quite some time as well. And even though they've been in the playoffs for quite some time, they haven't dropped off. They've won six of their last seven. The only thing I'd say is that they've won 14 games this season by one goal, which suggests they're very good at protecting leads but very tight. I don't think, again, we are not sure we're going to be treated to a goal fest in, the, in either leg. And I, but I do think the the onus is going to be on Luton to get at least one goal if they can at Kenilworth Road. So that Nathan Jones intensity going to work in their favour, Sam, or is he going to need to dial it back a bit, do you think? I don't think there's any chance. <laughs> <laughs> Zero chance of that. This is his this is his platform, isn't it? He's gonna go full blast. He's gonna go in an executive box and neck something should they <laughs> score late on. Yeah, no, I agree with everything Robin said, to be to be honest. Uh it's gonna be really tight this one. Um I think it was nil nil at Kenilworth Road earlier on this season and the two previous games uh were one one. So there's only been that two nil really where there's been an outright winner recently. I just think Luton are faltering a little bit. In terms of the, the, the goal scoring, I think they've scored um, just five times subsequent to, to that game or, or four times in the subsequent games. So they're not creating an abundance of chances. They want Adebayo fit, clearly. He's the one that's yet to show or yet to be seen, really, in the last couple of games. They've got a lot of players back for the most recent game. And um, I think set pieces as well. We know Huddersfield are the best in the division in that regard, but... Luton very good as well. James Breeze back fit. That right-hand side for Luton all of a sudden looks stronger. Harry Toffolo having an unbelievable end to the season on the left for Huddersfield. I'm intrigued to see that battle. Both of them supplying a number of opportunities and goals for their teams. So that's an avenue for both. But yeah, Luton want to try and win this one, clearly. And I think if they are, it's probably, as Robin said, going to be by a goal to nil. And they've done that a couple of times away at Cardiff, uh, home to Reading most recently. I could see it going that way. and But, you know, Carlos Colbran, he'll be relishing this because the system changes, the in-game changes. He played the back three against Luton last time because he's, you know, wary of Luton's front two. He likes having Jonathan Hogg in the middle of that three. Be interesting to see if he does that again or if he concocts some other potion. Five different shapes the last five games. I just think it's built for someone like Carlos Colbran as it was for say this frequently, Wickham a few years ago, Northampton. I just think the playoff system suits this type of team and this type of manager who are adaptable, who are robust. But yeah, I don't think anything's going to be decided after one game at Kenilworth Road. It's going to be nil-nil or it's going to be one-nil, I'm afraid, sports fans. <laughs> um, producer, I'd be pointing out that both League One playoffs were won by the team that was at home First, so does that give you an advantage in the way that we don't normally think of, Robin, in that you can kind of, you know, get, I suppose you need to win the home game, but then it makes the second leg a little bit easier, doesn't it? There's not the expectation on you, whereas, I don't know, if you're, say, if you're Huddersfield in this position and you draw nil-nil in the first game, then the expectancy is going to be that you'll win the the home game. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's the sort of system... I don't know how long that I don't know how that was decided. I guess home advantage has always been historically such a such a big thing. So I guess yeah, that's why if you finish higher up you get the second leg. But actually maybe that does need a rethink. Maybe the person the club who finishes higher up should get a choice because maybe it's 
yeah, a really interesting point raised because of what happened in the other, um, in the League One playoffs. Yeah, really interesting. But I guess with, just in terms of Huddersfield, it's all about if they've got uh, their big players fit as well. So they've had no Sorba Thomas, no Matty Pearson or Lewis O'Brien for, for the run-in. So they, they could be key if they can, maybe if they're not available for this one, if they can be available for the second leg, that could be really significant. Uh, now then, if anyone would like to fill in for me at my wife's cousin's wedding this Saturday, my DMs are open. It's Sheffield United versus Forest at Bramall Lane, a repeat of the 2003 semi-final. Uh, one place and five points between them at the end of the regular season. Both games this term between them finish 1-1. Uh, if Luton Huddersfield is going to be close, Robin, you'd say the same about this one based on those stats. Yeah, I think what what's really nice of these two sets of playoffs is like Luton, Huddersfield, both teams kind of full of players that have just been improved by their coaches and no real superstars and possibly, well, actually that that's true of all of them, that, you know, they'll be, they kind of put their trust in players that have played at a lower level and they've, they've made them better. Whereas this one's kind of like, I don't want to say the more glamorous one, but it's like Sheffield United are full of t- players who... Used to play, who played in the Premier League two years ago, and Nottingham Forest are full of really young, exciting players who are being looked at by top-flight teams. So yeah, it, two really interesting matchups, and yeah, I think this one's going to be very close as well because you can't really separate them. I do wonder. I know. I know you feel like um, I don't know if you feel if Forest were devastated by the loss against Bournemouth. You know, so close to going up without the playoffs obviously nothing compared to what Northampton experienced but picking them up and and going for a playoff campaign I'm not sure I guess that's a big thing psychologically and yeah Sheffield United they they weren't expecting to get them until they conceded with the final kick against Hull City so that's kind of changes things as well so yeah I mean again it's going to be really really interesting uh to see I, again I just don't think it's going to there's going to be much in this one you played in the playoffs, Sam. That momentum that, that Robin's talking about, or lack thereof. So Sheffield United come in having won their last three. Forest had won four on the bounce, but then that crushing defeat against Bournemouth and then the draw against Hull. Does that play into it at all? Does the manager just say, just forget about the regular season, we're preparing for these one-off games? Are you able to do that? Or are you thinking about, oh, I wish we'd gone up automatically? I think in this scenario, they'll be okay. We're going to come on to a team a little bit later who I think psychologically are going to be damaged. But I think because Forrest have had such a brilliant season over a long period of time, I don't think it'll be too concerning. Sheffield United have won their games, but they were brilliant against Fulham, but I don't think they've been ridiculously dominant, consistent, um, free-flowing for for the last couple of months. You know, they've had a good few halves of football. Credit where credit's due. They've they've turned it on when when they needed it. But no, I, I think... This first game is going to be incredibly tight. The, the league game showed that. I think, again, set pieces, no Yates' threat. I think he scored the equaliser there earlier in the season. Garner's delivery, two similar styles. I think if we're not going to speak about it now, Scott Parker's halftime team talk's been doing big numbers on Twitter and he referred to that game against Nottingham Forest. They want it to be a basketball game. I think in the second leg, if it becomes that, if Forest need a goal, I think Forest are the stronger outfit. If it's more open, Forest's home form shows you that. 24 goals in their last eight games at home. Won all of them. Um, 
you know, if the game opens up, I think Forest have got more in their attacking armory than Sheffield United. And it's going to be quite a contrast. I think they've got more direct runners, Forest, in Zinkanagel, Johnson, clearly. There's some good technicians in Sheffield United's forward line. So there is going to be a bit of a contrast there. You know, more players dropping in, probably a bit more intricate. Um, so I, I think it'll be feeling each other out in this, in this first game. And um, it could be decided at the city ground. And if Forest go back there level, you'd have to fancy them. You, you really would because of the, the recent form under Steve Cooper. I just can't bring myself to to agree with that and say, say it. Our playoff record is so <laughs> miserable. Also, no grabbing, no low, no Davis, Yates, Cook, Colback, Spence, all doubts. Uh, just keep it going to the second leg when I'll actually be able to, to watch it, please, boys. That would be nice. That return leg is on Tuesday night at the City Ground. After this, we'll look ahead to the League Two playoffs. So the League Two playoffs then, the two semi-finals. Mansfield against Northampton is the one we're going to start with. They'll go at it at Field Mill, 7.45 on Saturday. Abby's worried that the viewing figures might be affected by Eurovision. We'll wait and see as regards that. Uh, Stag's boss, Nigel Clough, been all about the positivity. Northampton... Not so much. Robin, you kind of alluded to it earlier. I think if you're any of the other three teams in League Two, Northampton's the team you wanted to face, given what happened to them on the final day. Oh, my word. I just I just can't imagine. They just must have been on the floor planning their trip to Dubai, you know, beers, you know, all the selfies they were going to take. I mean, they couldn't do anything more. They're probably thinking, actually, they just shouldn't have conceded that that goal on the final day that it would nothing this wouldn't have happened. But I mean, this is where John Brady's got to earn his money, isn't it? Like he's got to pick them up. It's just such a humongous psychological hurdle to get over. I'm sure he wouldn't have let them feel like this is a foregone conclusion. We're going to get it automatically, but they couldn't have envisaged what happened. And I think this is the big factor of what's going to decide this because they, I can't imagine they're not hugely affected by what happened. And yeah, it's just all about how how they respond. It's really going to be interesting to see how they do that. Could be a perfect storm as well, couldn't it, Sam? Because we were talking about how home advantage in the first leg has actually been the advantage in the League One playoffs. Mansfield, only Tranmere took more points at home than them in the regular season. And, and with Northampton still maybe a little punch drunk, Mansfield will be thinking that they can not get the tie won in the first leg, but certainly have a decent advantage to take into the return. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's... It's one of the hardest possible games you you could have in the EFL right now. 13 wins out of 15, isn't it? And not only that, but they're scoring so freely as well. I think they've scored two in six of the last seven games. You have to go back to October to the last time they failed to score at Field Mill. So you'd think they're going to score, even though Northampton are, I think, along with Tranmere, probably the two best defences in the division. I look at those two centre-halves, maybe Guthrie and Horsfall have been so prolific for them in terms of goal scoring but good leaders as well they need the the big characters and it's all the cliches really but they will they need the experienced boys to just try and rally them because as Robin said during that game you're thinking about where you're going tonight where you're going on your holidays the medal uh the 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 pay rise all those things are going through your mind. Believe me, in the last 15 minutes of that game, the celebrations, the the adrenaline, it would have been all building, you know. They, they would have thought they were there, although they would have been getting the whispers, I'm sure, from the 
the Cobblers fans behind one of those goals and the, and the staff and what have you. But yeah, this is going to be a really tough game. I just, I think because I've said the other two are going to be dull as dishwater, I think both league, I'm going to go for it. Both league two playoff games are going to be good fun. And I think partly because they're damaged, Northampton, partly because Mansfield score goals, um, especially at home. But I think Northampton have turned a bit of a corner. You know, they've been scoring at 13 in the last five games. This is very different to the Northampton that's got them success so far this season. They've got more creativity. They're scoring more goals. The handbrake seems to have come off in open play as well. 10 in the, the last eight games from open play. I think that shows you there's been a little bit of a of a switch while still having the two centre-halves and the big threat from Mitch Pinnock's left foot, the set pieces. That's always going to be there. But I think there's a bit more about this Northampton side now. So hopefully it'll be similar to that Cheltenham-Northampton mayhem we saw a few years ago where Cheltenham's defence just completely lost the plot in the second leg and allowed Northampton to come back. I think it was 4-3 or something uh, similar ilk uh, over aggregate. So... Yeah, there's not a lot between the two sides, but I think there's going to be goals. The only thing I would say, maybe you're closer to this, Matt, is that I feel like there's probably quite a lot of pressure on Mansfield to get promoted. They've been in League Two for like for nine years now. And they've only been in the playoffs once. And it, it feels like maybe that sort of expectations filtered away a little bit. But in seasons past, they've kind of been the the big recruiters of League Two and it's not really helped them any. And now they've got, you know, Nigel Clough, who's obviously an incredibly experienced manager. Just feel like there might be a bit of pressure on them to actually, you know, go all the way. Yeah, I think he's tried to deflect that, but um, yeah, certainly they have spent enough money to be up there contending. And Northampton's last win at Mansfield was in the 2004 playoffs. That was a three-one victory. Didn't stop them going out on pens, though. Mansfield then lost the final to Huddersfield using the same measure. Uh, the other game then, Swindon Town against Port Vale. They have to wait until Sunday to get their playoff party started. Goes down at high noon at the county ground. What's the buzz around Swindon ahead of this one, Sam? It's thriving. Yeah. Harry McCurdy did his little rallying call and the, the fans have responded unbelievably. By all accounts, Walsall was an incredible atmosphere. I think the early goal obviously helped in regard to getting the, the win because Walsall had some chances themselves. It it flattered Swindon a little bit, but it was a party atmosphere. I think everyone's looking forward to it. To win four games on the spin under extreme pressure is very, very impressive. I think they needed to win all four as well as it played out. You know, nobody slipped up on the on the final day. So I think after the Newport home defeat, after Leighton Orient home defeat, the fans were very despondent. It's not going to be our season. Question marks about Ben Garner. Has he got them the most out of this squad? Because it's a good squad that they've been able to put together. And they've produced. They've really produced. And going into these playoffs... Yeah, they play an open style. I don't think they can shut up a game particularly. So it should be really good fun. I've softened my stance a little bit. I think it could be a draw at the county ground. And I think Swindon will win uh, at Port Vale. It was 2-1 to Port Vale at the county ground and 3-1 to Swindon, the, the corresponding fixtures. And I think it could be something similar. I think that, you know, Port Vale physically are going to be stronger than Swindon. They'll have a, a set piece threat. The average age, uh, well, I think it's brought down at Swindon uh, by, um, taken up, sorry, by Baudry, who's 34. But Port Vale have got three or four players in their 30s. They've got experience, but they don't have the the vibrancy and the, the youthfulness of Swindon, especially in attack, where McCurdy and Payne 
banging form, having the best seasons of their career. And Swindon has got a habit of unearthing these goal scorers, Matt, let me tell you, because um, <laughs> I was useless before and after. But the Charlie Austin started there, kicked on. Simon Cox, most fruit- fruitful period. Owen Doyle, most recently, although he's always been a good goal scorer. And McCurdy has never produced these type of numbers. So Swindon go in probably with the the best attacking player right now. Um, and if he can control that emotion, could be onto a good thing. Yeah, I think for the neutral, we want Swindon to get to the final just to see what Harry McCurdy's suit's going to be like on the day because that will be well worth it. Um, Robin, you're not particularly neutral in this case. Are your team Port Vale, <laughs> presumably, for this one? I don't know. Um, kind of uh, missed the derby, so wouldn't, wouldn't mind too much. Obviously, I don't, don't wish any sort of... Um, positive vibes for Swindon that would be against my my makeup but um just looking back to where they were in the summer and I know people you kind of obviously they, they'll want to to go up but they were nearly not a team they were nearly out of business and the fact that they've managed to put together a team of just fantastic players and are on the verge of promotion I mean that is such an incredible turnaround on and off the pitch so that that really that really should be applauded. I guess the only thing I'd say is that I think they have the worst set piece record of the teams in the playoffs. And as Sam alluded to, there Port Vale have have quite a few big, experienced players. So that might be where Port Vale can hurt Swindon. But as also you you talked about Northampton with the handbrake off. That's how Swindon have been playing. I think probably both teams to score wouldn't be a bad shout. I think that's that's the Swindon way. So yeah, I think. Yeah, and Port Vale, they, apart from that last win, the end of the season against Exeter, they weren't on a great run. So again, going to be intriguing to see in terms of how they approach this and how actually what the level is of their performance. Yeah, and I think that Daryl Clark deserves, you know, a lot of credit, I think, this season for getting them so competitive. David Flickcroft, the director of football, he's next Swindon manager, recent Swindon manager as well. So there's a little bit of a subplot there. They'll know each other well. Chris Hussey potentially could be on the left-hand side for Port Vale. He played for Flickcroft at the, at the county ground. And I like Port Vale's attacking players. And this is without Conlon as well. Why Daryl Clark deserves credit. He's their best player, Conlon. He's been missing, I think, since um, the Swindon game pre-Christmas. So they've done this without arguably their most creative force. I like James Wilson. He seems to have found a home there. Obviously, ex-Manchester United, very talented player. And I think counter-attacking away from home really suits them. So, yeah, this could be one that could go right down to the wire in terms of Port Vale getting a favourable result away from home and, and maybe Swindon, as they've done all season, been able to enjoy themselves on that lovely big Wembley of the North pitch. I also think Daryl Clark deserves a lot of credit because obviously he's been he had a substantial amount of time away because of a, a close bereavement and his coaching staff just kept them ticking over. I know they had a sort of poor end to the season, but the fact they managed to make the playoffs in his absence, no, he's just kind of phased return, just suggests that they, you know, tight knit coaching staff and tight knit group who were on the same page. Uh, so that's what we think. What about Paddy Power? Producer Abby will come in and tell us what the odds are on those playoff games. I will. We'll begin with League Two because that's why we've just been talking. And it's the two home sides for these first legs that are the favourites. So Mansfield are 23 to 20, Northampton 12 to 5, the draw 21 to 10, and Swindon 6 to 5, and Port Vale 21 to 10, draw 11 to 5. 
But it is Port Vale who are the slight favourites to be the overall winners and to escape League Two into League One. They are five to two, with Mansfield, Northampton, and Swindon all eleven to four to be promoted. And in the Championship, it is once again um, the home sides who are the favourites here. So Luton eleven to eight, Huddersfield are twenty three to ten. The draw two to one, and uh, that does mean that Sheffield United are the favourites against Forest. They're six to five, Forest thirteen to five, but. Forest are the favourites to get their way all the way through to Wembley and out the other side of the Premier League. They are 13 to 8 to to win to be promoted. Sheffield United second favourites 9 to 4, Huddersfield 3 to 1, Lowton 9 to 2. And if like me you're a little bit concerned about, you know, the Eurovision clash, um well this will make you even more concerned because the United Kingdom are the second favourites to win the whole con- contest with Paddy Power. What? <laughs> I know. More, more chance of Forest winning the playoffs than the UK winning Eurovision. 11 to 2. Surely. Wow, okay. Uh, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And um, when the fun stops, stop. All uh, right, before we go, after that delightfully catty statement from Forest Green Rovers, uh, I thought that maybe we could do some statements of our own. Somebody, something, some company that, that you've got beef with at the moment. I want a statement about it in the style of FGR. Sam, what have you got for me? Uh, I regret to announce that I shall no longer be subscribing to ridiculously overpriced delivery gourmet cuisine companies. As much as I enjoy being wooed by free samples at farmers markets, the portion size has ruined this relationship. Despite the glorious tasting ravioli, I can no longer justify the price considering the extra garlic bread salads, sticky toffee pudding and custard and copious amounts of biscuits to satisfy my gluttony. Thank you for the slow cooked ragu. P.S. Treble the portions and you can have my dough back. <laughs> nice. I like it. Preach. Dough with food as well works. Yeah. Very Preach. Good. Also, 20 minutes to, to prepare and cook. No. No chance. <laughs> no meal that can fit through the letterbox is going to satisfy me and my partner. <laughs> Right, it's got it's got to be delivery. It's got to be delivery man, isn't it? Knocking it's got to be door. in a box. Yeah. It's got to be in a box yeah, yeah, where yeah. they they got to just lob it over the fence so you get it in the garden. <laughs> Maybe a couple of blokes you need as well to actually deliver it. Yeah, lots of ice packs. Um, have you got a similar beef, Robin? With beef, yeah. Sam's was by the sounds. <laughs> what what inspiration, Dale Vince? Um, Mrs. Cowan has renounced her brief relationship with a certain travel company after a disappointing customer service experience. She does not appreciate having her precious scrolling and podcast listening time taken up by hours of green sleeves. The cancelled flights are a part of travel, of course, but the alternative routes were unsatisfactory, taking in countries that were not part of the itinerary, while a detour from Rome to Dublin sounds like fun, taking in a Weatherspoons, Pret and WH Smiths at Dublin Airport was for three hours is not how I'd like to spend surprise trips to the beautiful location of the Republic of Ireland. Mrs. Cowan will forgive for the manner of the experience, but will not be using your services again. She considered outing said company on social media, but felt her meagre following didn't justify the public shaming. (laughs) I noticed that you two haven't named your company, which makes me feel a bit bad for naming mine, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, MDA Limited would like to register its dismay at the lack of contact from NCP over the recent £43 to park at Grantham train station for 24 hours shambles. Uh, Whilst we accept that customer service is a dying art, a 30-minute phone call to then be told to send an email is simply not acceptable. That said email, sent 10 days ago, has still not been replied to is an extreme disappointment. We hope, if not expect, the matter to be resolved forthwith. 
<laughs> Thanks, Dale. You've really helped us get some stuff off our chest there, I think. Um, Matt, you've yeah. got to find a little side road in Grantham. Yeah, you'd think so. It's just a very built-up area. I did actually look at parking on somebody's drive, but there wasn't a cost-saving there, and it's quite a scary walk uh, from the train station. <laughs> it's not house. scary in Richmond. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, listener, well done. If you've made it through all that, maybe you've got somebody you've got beef with that you'd like to out publicly. Do get in touch. Uh, until then, many thanks to Robin, to Sam, to Abby, and to David Priest for joining us earlier. We're going to record on Sunday night this week, so Monday morning you'll have a new Totally Football League show dropping in your podcast provider of choice and its platform. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.